Hey guys, what's going on? Dana Bluen here, and today I'm going to be visiting at Texas Global Summit here in Bangkok, and I'll be updating throughout the day as I visit different talks, visit different booths, and I'm there covering it as media for Kausart English, so after the two days of the event, you will be able to check out my article on Kausart with my photos from the event. And I will probably also put a vlog up on my YouTube channel that you guys can check out with some content from uh, Texas Global Summit here in Bangkok. So it's going to be a long two days, but I'm hopefully going to be updating this 10, 12 times a day. So hopefully you'll be able to check that out and see what's going on at Texas and what the current trends are in the Asia tech ecosystem. Well, let's get going on our way to Texas. Hey guys, what's going on? I'm here with Rosalia at Texas from SolarVolt, and it's a off-grid solar solution focused here in Southeast Asia. And I'm going to let Rosalia tell you guys about it. Hello. Um, yeah, my name is Rosalia. I'm the uh, COO uh, and co-founder of SolarVolt, an off-grid solar energy company. Um, a bit about us, uh, myself and my co-founder. We were both uh, long-term humanitarians with the United Nations for upwards of a decade. Spent a lot of time in natural disasters. And, you know, it took us a, a while, but came to the dawning realization that uh, people were never going to get out of a, a cycle of, of poverty and devastation without some of the most fundamental inputs of economic progress, namely uh, electricity. So we kind of, you know, threw together a meeting of the minds, uh, brought on board a series of engineers from around the world, uh, India, France, uh, China, and came up with a prototype that we started testing in Guinea and Haiti uh, in 2016, and officially launched our product in April of 2017. Um, we've had a really uh, strong reception in, in the ASEAN countries. So initially, obviously, we were kind of focusing on, on West Africa and Central Africa, and they just bit on this side of the world, because this side of the world, um, you know, it, it, has a, it has people who are kind of middle class and upwardly mobile, um, but it still has kind of, sub, in general, suboptimal energy. In addition, you also have, you know, large swaths of the generation that are becoming increasingly carbon conscious and they want to figure out how they can lower their carbon footprint and impact because they're living in circumstances of, you know, a lot of air pollution and, and, and just pollution in general. So, yeah, it's a really, it's an appealing product. It's also, I mean, you know, not to, to toot my own horn, but it's, a, it's not bad to look at. So I think that, interestingly enough, despite all of the design and the hours put into, like, optimizing the bits and pieces of, of our product, um, the, the, uh, the, the, when you actually ask clients at the end, you know, what they find most appealing, um, they, they always point to how it looks. So we thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I can actually attest that. It is actually a really cool looking unit. And uh, I'll have some photos up on my Instagram. And uh, there'll probably be some stuff on my YouTube channel you guys can check out. Now, I wanted uh, you just to touch on one thing for me real quick, Rosalia, because we were talking a bit earlier, and you were telling me about the power situation in a lot of places outside of like the US, Canada, Australia. Um, can you just touch on that really quick? Because I think it makes it really interesting for an urban perspective as well as an off-grid kind of rural perspective. 
So um, when we're talking about, I would almost subcategorize the world into three. I would say, you know, at the very at the upper echelons, a lot of the Western worlds, the U.S., Europe, and Australia, um, people are pretty used to having 24-hour electricity that they really take for granted. Um, and then you have maybe like the poorest of the poor, like the poorest countries, where um, it's very much taken for granted that you have no access to the grid. So they live in you know complete dark, and that's where you have a lot of very small solar solutions really, uh, really taking hold, like uh, solar-powered flashlights, things like that. But then you have kind of a huge chunk of the global population, um, billions of people who live in places that are on the grid, um, but the grid doesn't perform perfectly. Uh, you know, maybe they'll have six to eight hours of electricity in a day, but what about the remaining 16? Um, and they live, you know, with expectations that come with being the part of the rising middle class, right? They want their TV still on, they want their iPhone still charged, and they also need access to 24-hour electricity where maybe the grid can't perform. So what's the answer? The answer is, having systems like this where you know they can charge so for example our system you can either charge it with the sun or we have a little bit of a cheat you can plug it into a wall so it has ac and dc input and output and that's really appealing to somebody who lives in you know let's say uh, manila where maybe there's a brownout for six hours a day but they know that they're going to have electricity for the remainder they plug it into their wall and this way they're guaranteed that no matter what happens at night they'll be able to power their refrigerator have you know their phones and their computers charged watch some tv and you know have and have some 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 fans on and really be able to get through the night they're, and in addition to cutting their carbon footprint so yeah i think it's it's important to underline that most of the people in this world either have no access to electricity on a regular basis or have medium access to electricity uh, and, and this is this is their form of life and this is what they're used to Awesome. Thank you very much, Rosalia. And I'll put a link in the description for this. Guys, check out SolarVolt. Hey, guys. I'm back. Still here at TechSauce Global Summit in Bangkok. And I'm with Samantha Tung from Ofo, which is a bike-sharing company Based in based out of China, they've raised over 700 million up to Series E so far, with a valuation north of a billion U.S. dollars. So, uh, Samantha, could you tell me uh, just a little bit about Ofo and your expansion plans into Thailand? Hi guys, so this is Samantha speaking. So, um, Ofo is gonna enter Thailand after Singapore and Malaysia, and we're gonna go to many more places in Southeast Asia. So, in Thailand, we are thinking of you know entering the market through universities. So it's going to be more like campus commuting, where the students can commute from one faculty to another faculty. Um, and we, are, we want to enter the city as well, but that really depends on how the conversation with the, with the government goes, because uh, we want to go through the proper regulations. So um, that's interesting you talk about the city, and I'm, I'm all for the campus idea. I think that's fantastic. Uh, I would love to be able to get around campus on a, on a bike share. Uh, with the city, though, I mean, I think you know that Thailand is notoriously has a notoriously poor record for road safety. Last year we were number two behind Senegal for road deaths. This year uh, Thailand has tried very hard. I think we're going to be number one. Um, how does that impact a market plan for a company like Ofo compared to Singapore, where it's very safe to ride on the street comparatively? So um, great examples, great point. I think that Singapore we were relatively fortunate you know it's really small it's really secure so we could just enter the city by placing our bicycles pretty much everywhere and the government are also 
a little bit more understanding. They recognize you know, the efforts of um, becoming a greener city, um, recognize the efforts of keeping up with times. In Thailand, um, given the, the road safety issue, the landscape, uh, I think that's why we have decided to start off with university campus instead, So, which, is, which is, makes it a little bit more controlled. Uh, then we can tweak our use cases from there. With, university, with entering through universities, we are also able to do more targeted marketing, uh, educational materials, and from there, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. So, um, Thailand definitely has its own set of challenges, um, and we're tweaking. Instead of coming from the city straight, we're going to go for like a proper channels and from university campus. Yeah, I really do think that's a great, uh, yeah. great approach. And I, I do want to say, um, I'll put some photos on Twitter and Instagram, and you guys will probably see some of this on my YouTube channel. But these bikes are just super cool looking. Uh, they're bright yellow with black accents. And uh, one of the things Samantha was pointing out to me earlier is that these have run flat tires. So they're not pneumatic tires. Uh, and what we were discussing, it makes it difficult for like a long ride, but for short rides and having basically maintenance-free bike, that's ideal. So what is the, the maintenance-free design? I see these are single-speed bikes, Samantha. Mm -hmm. So how much maintenance does Offo generally have to do on their fleet? I think um, given that the bikes are pretty basic, basic but sufficient, the maintenance that we are looking at is we have a team that goes around um, depending on which zone they are in once a week um, and users are also able to report like which bicycles has what defects. So some bicycles are bound to have like missing chairs or wobbly chair, uh, wobbly what do you call that seats, right? Um, or like you know handles that are not so great condition. So these are. We, we maintain a two-way communication with our user base. So they report to us and we'll send our team down. Um, otherwise, maintenance is pretty light. Uh, we go around once a week, making sure that the bikes are properly maintained in, well, in good places. Yeah, pretty much that's it. All right, and one last question for you, Samantha. Uh, theft. What kind of issue is theft in recovery and how much does that play into the cost of entering a market? So theft is something that um, I think in all the cities that we are in, we are trying to tackle. But we have, be given that we have been around in China for a while, we are becoming better at that. Um, definitely, I have set aside a team to just look at the numbers. So if we know that this particular area has a lot of theft, what we might do is we might constrain the pickup points to certain locations. And um, that will mean that the roster of deployment and picking our bicycles will change. Right? Um, and we also have a GPS function that allows us to know where these bicycles are. Um, TAV is pretty much a launch as you go kind of thing. Uh, to be honest, I don't have a concise plan right now, but I'm prepared to, you know, to face that challenge head on. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Samantha. Guys, check out Offo, especially if you're in Asia, Southeast Asia. Bike sharing, I think, is really one of the futures of human transport, especially in urban settings. So check it out. Photos and links will be on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you. All right, guys, I'm back, and now I'm here with Etienne. He's a French-Canadian guy from Montreal, the good, great white north. Um, he is a founder, right, CEO of Cookly, which is, oddly enough, a company I pitched alongside when I was uh, pitching for driver at the Bangkok Angel Club event about two years ago now. And it's just awesome to see that these guys are, are still in operation. They're now, I just found out they're operating in 10 countries. You guys are in the DTAC Accelerator program here in Bangkok. 
which is awesome. So uh, Etienne, can you just tell us a little bit about Cookly, what you guys are doing, and what your plans are for the future? Sure. All right. So Cookly is a booking platform for cooking classes. Uh, we work with cooking schools and we target tourists. So basically, we provide like the whole cooking experience when you travel abroad. So it's more than a serious cooking class. It's actually going to market tour, uh, organic farm, and really like feeling the local culture and local food. Now, uh, I remember when we pitched uh, a few years ago together, you guys had an amazing uh, pitch video that was just like cinematic and, and perfectly saturated. Yeah, it, it's showing right now on the, on the screen. Uh, tell, tell us about like when you guys got started, because that was early on. Like, so how'd you make that? Um, and how has the traction been for you in Asia, getting people to come and register with your, uh, with your site? Okay, um, so for the video, like from the get-go, like we knew it's about food, so it has to be like visual. So for us, since the beginning, we knew like okay, it has to be beautiful for, for people. If you look at Instagram, people uh, people post about travel and about food. Uh, so we wanted to follow that that trend, let's say. So for the video, we had the chance to know some people from Canada who came here to shoot it. Um, really, really professional. So um, so far, this video has still not been sent out for the final version. Why is that we wanted to have like more traction and like really build the brand and uh, so now we're actually preparing the contest so to give like giveaway flight tickets, hotels and cooking classes here in Asia. That's awesome. So uh, now I know you're in, you're in 10 countries, you're in Europe, you're in Asia. What is the most popular destination that you guys are booking and what are people, what's the dish that you think people love the most? Oh, that's a good one. Um, okay, so the first destination is still Thailand. Why? Because there's so many cooking schools here. Everybody in the world likes Thai food, so it's still like very famous. After that, Italy is coming very good as well. So we're active in Rome and Florence. Uh, so obviously like pizza and pasta making. So yeah, Italy we would be uh, pasta making and uh, yeah, in a vineyard and all these beautiful images. And here I would say like um, we get a lot of questions for like mango sticky rice actually. So not pad thai, but yeah, sticky rice like dessert. Actually people are looking for that. So it's not Som Tom, it's not Pad Thai, it's uh, Kanyo Magmua. Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> different things. Exactly. Now, so I, I mean, I've been to Montreal a bunch, we were just talking about that, and Montreal is a food mecca as well. Yeah. And so, give, give us just like real quick, let's close on a, a quick contrast yeah. between the food culture of Montreal, and I know you've been, you guys were in Bali, you've been all over. What's the food culture like here by comparison? Okay, good question. I was actually a cook myself in Montreal, so I know that. Uh, the restoration. Actually, in Montreal, the beauty is that uh, the diversity. So you have people coming from everywhere in the world, um, bringing their food. So you can discover. You just walk a street and you pass by 15 countries. So it's very, very easy to discover new tastes. Um, the beauty of like having here is that yes, it's mostly like, only the local food, but it's still very, very rich. So tourists, when they come here, um, they might be scared about trying new things or the things they tried, for example, Thai food back in Canada would be only the Pad Thai. When you arrive here, you look at the soup, you're like, eh, what's this color, what's inside? But then when you take a cooking class, you actually, what's inside this, this, this tasteful like dishes. So you're not scared anymore, you're more willing to try new things. That's really our goal, like to make the bridge between culture and the food and like make people discover new things actually. Awesome, so uh, where can people find Cookly and how can they book with you? So on the website is cookly.me. And on the app, we have a web responsive on uh, iOS and also Android uh, app. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much, Etienne, and uh, good luck with Cookly. You guys are going strong. You're like a startup OG now. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
Alright guys, I'm back and now I'm here with Fuadi from Barismo. Now this company was actually founded in Boston or Cambridge, Massachusetts. Fuadi's uh, a Harvard grad, but he's Thai and so he's now bringing this to Bangkok. I would say I had their Nitro, is it Nitro Push Cold Brew earlier and it is phenomenal cold brew coffee. I'm going to say that straight up. I'm completely going to be biased now because it was probably one of the best cold brews I've ever had. Uh, so, and anyone who follows me knows I drink a lot of cold brew. So, Fawadi, tell me about the idea behind uh, Burismo, uh, how you started it in Massachusetts and how you're bringing it to Bangkok. Uh, actually, I am a partner in Burismo in, in Boston. I, I, I went to school there in 2011 for master. My friend who, who asked me to join started the company in 2008. So I met him in 2011 and we talked about Thai coffee and uh, I, I was more interested in, in growing coffee in the north, northern part of Thailand. But, but Jamie was, uh, got me involved in, in more in coffee, the founder of Burismo. And then I became a partner, I invested in it in the company and then now I'm bringing it to Thailand. That's awesome. So were you involved in uh, coffee agriculture before you were involved in Burismo? Uh, yes. Uh, Burismo is actually uh, mostly run by my brother, Husni. Uh, I am more involved in, in Northern Thailand, uh, working with farmers, helping them improve the quality of coffee and export those coffee. And part of that, part of the coffee that I produce, I export another part I, I give to Burismo to roast and serve. Now, I'm a little upset that you're exporting Thai coffee because I live in Thailand yeah. and I want Thai coffee. Yeah. I don't want it all exported yeah. where they're paying yeah. premiums. I yeah. want it here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of it is still here. Uh, okay. Thailand only exported 1% of coffee, so there's a lot of Thai coffee here still. And then what do you consume just now is all Thai. That, that Thai Arabica yeah. from Northern Thailand, uh, people don't understand how amazing that coffee is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we are never known because no one ever really pay attention to, to this part of the Asian yeah. coffee. Is I, I would call it, it it's the era, it's, it's Asian coffee renaissance right now. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. and like I said, those beans, like yeah. my favorite coffees in the world, my top three are all from Thailand right now. Wow, yeah. I mean, thank you. I mean, I've been, I've been trying to push that, 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 that message a lot. I mean, getting people to try it. It's a very approachable, like everyone... Who, who, who consume Thai coffee would, would love it. I mean, it, it's really hard to deny that it's good. It's, it's amazing. So tell me about how you're bringing Burismo here to Bangkok, what, what your plan is, and how you uh, expect to grow the company as a brand for coffee in Bangkok. Yep. Uh, I mean, the idea is pretty simple. Like, this idea of cold brew serving iced coffee is much better done in Southeast Asia than in, in Boston. <laughs> because in Boston, it's seasonal. You, you drink iced coffee only part of the time. Most, most of the places in the U.S. is like that. But in Thailand, in Bangkok, it's all year round. Like you drink cold, cold coffee all year round. So, so the idea was pretty simple. Uh, and then our plan, I'm here today at Texas because we're interested in supplying coffee to offices. Uh, they put down the deposit for the machine and then we supply the keg. Keg is, is filled with coffee. And then we, we replace the keg when, when, when the coffee runs out. So, so the idea is pretty simple. Right now we have a, a truck now with, with 12 tabs serving from coffee to tea to everything. So it, it's a, the idea is, is that we, we, we brew everything beforehand but we preserve the quality in a zero oxygen environment. So we prevent it from oxidizing by using nitrogen. So it's always fresh. And then we serve it from tab which is much, 
much faster than serving from espresso. And the taste itself is, is much smoother as well because it's all done cold and it's never been heated. So, so when, as opposed to like heating it, uh, using hot water to brew the coffee, then you usually taste the bitterness, the, the aftertaste. But this one is much, much smoother. Absolutely, I had it earlier. It's super malty. It's yeah. beautifully smooth, yeah. and it has a nice mouthfeel. Yeah. All right, so we only got a few seconds left here. Uh, tell me where people can find out about Burismo online, and where can they find it in uh, Thailand? Yep, uh, we we don't have a definite location yet. If you have offices, give give us a ring or follow us on on I, uh, IG or Facebook at at Burismo.bkk b a r i s m o dot b k k and and talk to us through that channel. And we can supply you cake. If you have event, we can bring a truck there. The truck is is quite stunning. If you look on on the Instagram, our Facebook page, on social media, it's great. Awesome! Thank you so much, okay. man. And and go try this coffee. It's yeah. amazing. Thank you. Hey guys, I'm here with Emirate, who is the founder CEO of Hubba. Uh, co-working space and I just found out today through uh, some of his employees also corporate innovation uh, consultants now awesome company here in uh, Bangkok and also I'm just gonna throw this in because it's an interesting fact uh, they have a location in Unnut Bangkok Hubba 2 inside Habito Mall has the best coffee I've had in Bangkok period uh, his guy there does a great job um, so I just wanted to talk to Emirate because he is really a probably one of the top movers in the startup ecosystem here. So, Emirate, from last year to this year, tell me what's changed with the startup ecosystem in Thailand. Sure. So in 2016, we've seen the witness of uh, fintech and the rise of corporate innovation. Everybody was, uh, was all the buzzwords and everybody was excited about AI and blockchain, but nobody really knew anything. And a ton of startups starting to realize that the opportunities for Thailand is not always about waiting for governments to change or grants or just waiting for like um, uh, the, the ecosystem to, to emerge, but it's about getting down and dirty and working with the biggest companies in our country and saying, how can we, as a nimble technology company, help you innovate faster and capture the opportunities Whereas the competition is now global. In this year, 2017, we're seeing a, a tsunami of Chinese investments, acquisition money. We're seeing a excitement from the, the rest of the set 50, which is the 50 largest stock-listed companies in Thailand. Over, close to half of them are now doing corporate innovation, accelerators, co-working space, venture uh, labs, and, and VCs. And, the only reason they're doing this, it's not just about FOMO, it's not about this is cool. They've realized that whatever they've been doing, that they've been successful till this far in such a, a sluggish economy and such uncertainty, it's not working anymore. They're growing at 2%, less than 10%, and they realize it's around the corner, these nimble startups are just going to cut them out and kill them off. Banks are the first to react, but other like industrial conglomerates realize that logistics companies realize that uh, and what we're very excited about this year at Texas Global Summit we've seen that the ecosystem has doubled in size almost every two, every year so last year we had about 3,500 people now over 150 startups exhibiting we're close to 6,000 people attending and uh, now it's truly I think Thailand's connected as part of the 
global tech ecosystem, not just another city in Southeast Asia. And absolutely, I've seen that as well for the past couple of years. Now, I want to ask you one more thing. Since I've been in Thailand five years now, you have been consistently the guy at kind of like that bleeding edge of the startup ecosystem, not just in Thailand, but Asia. And actually just last, uh, like a couple weeks ago, my buddy Kyle from um, Read Write, I saw he was posting pictures of you from Hong Kong. How have you stayed at the front of this for so long and been riding the crest of that wave? Sure, well, I mean, I'm not um, doing this because of uh, the, the excitement or trying to just uh, you know be the most famous or most well-connected guy in the ecosystem. But what I've seen and realized is that um, the tech community in Thailand really needs to learn and connect and be a part of a much bigger opportunity that's global, that's ASEAN-wide. But for some reason, our entrepreneurs, whether it's the language or the confidence or just the sheer curiosity of just going out there and meeting people and connecting because nobody was just doing it so I realized that somebody just had to create that network, create that bridge, build those relationships and connect Thailand to Hong Kong, Thailand to Zhenzhen, Thailand to wherever and and the the only way for Haba and as a co-working space in Texas to remain relevant is you're always learning how to better help entrepreneurs because they, they are ultimately our, our customers. If all, our members, our readers, our exhibitors are doing well, they're making money, they're raising funding, their business is growing, they come back, they have a great time, they get a big, bigger office. So just being customer focused and using the same startup principle, design thinking principle, being customer centric keeps me in my job. If, I'm, if I suck, I should uh, stop doing this and quit. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Emirate. Thank you. All right, guys, last interview for the day. We're wrapping up at Tech Sauce 2017 here in Bangkok, and I'm sitting down with Yuan, who is the executive director of GEM, which is an NGO focused on creating market access for startups in Southeast Asia. They have an incredible uh, competition going on right now called Colossus that has 100,000 USD reward to the winner. But I want to talk with Yuan because she's really awesome. I've been talking to her since last week we met in Bangkok. And Yuan, can you tell us what it is that GEM's focused on, why an NGO wants to get into this space, and what you hope to accomplish? Well, you know, an NGO does what an NGO does. A lot of advocacy, a lot of work that really benefits not just one startup, but really the entire ecosystem. Uh, and the entire ecosystem, as we see it, is not just one country, but many, many countries coming together. I think startups only can become bigger than they can imagine themselves if they can cross cities, if they can understand their market potential beyond their own country. I think we need to look at um, the world beyond the word borderless. We kept saying it, right? But what does it actually mean? So when a startup understands that, oh, my product can is not just about serving Bangkok, but it could also serve Hanoi, it can also serve Manila, it can also serve Jakarta. That would be suddenly, I think the world will look a bit different to them. That's what we're trying to, to get at. And that's what we're trying to build different communities across the different ASEAN uh, cities, um, also in India, also in China, because there's just so much similarity to share. Uh, so much more synergy we could see happening from one startup to the other and from one ecosystem to another. It's very true that th there is a lot of potential to have impact and benefit across all these regions, across the whole region, across all these countries. But how do you overcome, as an NGO, how do you help a startup overcome 
the bureaucratic hurdles, the logistical hurdles of servicing customers in markets across all these different countries? So I think the first thing is definitely an understanding um, how different cities do work, but having this conversation is definitely a beginning, a start, a, a great start for uh, the startup itself. Uh, we are also facilitating conversations with um, the councils, the local governments, for example. If you want to bring uh, uh, OFO, for example, a, a bicycle um, platform into a city, you're solving a lot of the transportation problem. But a lot of times, um, the key barriers are the fact that the local councils will not uh, be able to support what you're doing. Uh, they may clamp down your bikes that's left at the roadside um, simply because it's not done here before. So how can we then facilitate that conversation with the uh, local governance, um, with uh, the people in charge, to, for them to update the current policies, update their current processes, those are things that we want to be doing. so that startups can then have an opportunity to thrive not just in one city but across. That's one. And of course we are also uh, talking to the various different ecosystem builders and seeing what is it that's needed, um, what are the differences. Um, if, if we have an entrepreneur from Vietnam for example, from specifically from Hanoi, and they would like to go to Manila, then we will cross-match them with our champions, with GEMS champions in um, Manila and they will take that entrepreneur through the process. And if they hit a roadblock, then we will come in and say, okay, how else can we help remove this roadblock? Or this roadblock cannot be removed, so we will be armed with information to either update this with the local government or to tell more entrepreneurs to say, look, this is going to be a potential roadblock, so please be wary of it. That's, that's a great approach. You're creating local partners and leveraging that to help people from other region, other parts of the region, other countries. So real quick, let's wrap up. Tell people where they can find out more information about GEM Online and uh, give us a quick closing 15 second pitch on Colossus. Okay, now it is going to be the longest URL ever in the world. It's www.globalentrepreneurshipmovement.org. I know it's very long, but get on it and you will not be sorry. Um, you just need to really, um, uh, we're working with Unoodle, a San Francisco competition platform with us. And so, um, uh, yeah, 100,000 US dollar. I'm so stressed out by the time. <laughs> All right, we still got 10 seconds. Uh, 100,000 US dollars, how many, how many finalists will there be? How many semi-finalists? Semi when are the deadlines? The deadline is 31st of October, and we're looking for 30 semi-finalists and 10 finalists to pitch in Kuala Lumpur in December. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yuan. Uh, guys, check out GEM, check out Colossus. Thank you. All right, guys, so that's it. This is the end of day one, Tech Sauce Thailand. A lot of great startups. I got to say, the floor today, exhibition-wise, looked amazing. Some good talks. The uh, focus on tech startup stage was great. Um, Yuan, who you heard in a previous video, gave a great talk up there about what Gem is about, about Colossus. Uh, I talked to Emirate from Hubba and TechSauce earlier, and he is definitely one of the movers and shakers here in the Thai startup ecosystem. I'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully I'll get some more startup content for you guys. Now I'm gonna call it a night. It's been a long day. Enjoy. <laughs>